Hi, I'm Dan Krikorian. And I'm Patrick Carney. And we're Slapping Glass. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome four-time NCAA Division II Coach of the Year from Lincoln Memorial University, Coach Josh Schertz. In this highly detailed defensive conversation, Coach Schertz holds nothing back as we discuss defensive transition concepts, guarding split action, flares, and special pick and roll situations. And as always, have a little fun and get into some offense during our overrated or underrated segment. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please leave us a rating or review. Follow us for daily detailed breakdowns on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and subscribe to our Sunday morning newsletter where we consolidate much of the best that we've seen from the world of basketball. And now, get ready to get into a stance and enjoy our conversation with Coach Josh Schertz. Coach, thanks so much for making the time to come on and talk to us this morning. We, we are really excited to talk with you. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and unbelievable job you guys do in terms of the content you guys are putting out is, is next level. So uh, it's, a, it's an honor to be on. Thank you. We appreciate that. So, Coach, let's, let's dive right in. And like what we've talked about before is we're going to talk a lot of defense today, um, mm-hmm. something that doesn't get covered a whole lot on podcasts and in the, the basketball Twitter sphere. And so we're really excited to, to dive in. You guys are known at Lincoln Memorial for being so great offensively, and you have been for years. But on the other side of the coin, you've also had one of the best defenses in the country multiple times. And so we're excited to dive in with you on that. And to start on the defensive side of the ball, it's early season right now, and you're putting in, you know, kind of your defensive topics and, and game plan with your team. And one of the you know most important things defensively is teaching communication. What are some of the ways that right now you're helping establish communication within your program and on the floor right now? Well, I think you know that's always a, a challenge with uh you know with, with any team. I think um, look, it takes to, to be really good defensively. It takes uh, five guys playing exceptionally hard and being on a string, right? I mean, to have a chance to get stops against good teams, you got to have that. And uh, in order, you know, playing hard is great, but if you're not on a string, you know, it's it's not going to matter. And to be on a string, uh, the communication piece is vital, right? I mean, whether it's transition D or scrambling. Um, and so building, you know, basic tenants through our shell drill. I think an important piece is having a language um, we put together in our binder, um, you know, a sheet with just terms that we use that are particular uh, to us, that we know what they mean. Um, the assistance habit, uh, we review it with the players. We want everybody to be on the same page in terms of language because everybody calls things uh, different, right? So um, for us, you know, we'll start in basic premise of in our shell defense, just understanding, hey, you know, once you once somebody commands the ball, the world kind of gets whole, right? So, you know, understanding ball, understanding, you know, gap, 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 I'm one pass away, understanding help, understanding, um, 
you know, I'm the MIG. For us, uh, the low man, we call the MIG, which is an acronym for uh, most important guy. That's the most important guy defensively. So I'm the MIG. Uh, you you want to have this terminology and understanding of, of what's going on, right? And and that way, you know, and, and, and then, you you know, as a drive happens, you know, you're, you can be a trap the box guy. We're probably not calling that, but guys got a V back high guy in the eyes got to play too. You know, if it's skip the corner, you know, XXX. So the guy who V backed knows, you know, he's Xing. I mean, and so there's all these different things, you know, how do you communicate ball screen coverages? Obviously the key to a uh, successful ball screen defense starts with a big uh, yelling, the coverage and being able to communicate that coverage effectively and, 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 hopefully three times before the screen is set, right? So um, communication is vital, and we try to teach it in, in every aspect. Uh, you know, in every drill we do, we're trying to get guys to communicate where they are. I think it helps their alertness and awareness. I think it helps the young players with their understanding of, you know, what, what we are doing defensively. Because sometimes they'll be, they'll, they'll be in the right place but they're calling out the wrong thing. So you're teaching them, Hey, no, this is what we do. Cause again, you got to be on a string. And I think, you know, that's one of the great things about the defensive end of the floor is people always ask, you know, what's the best team builder you can do? You know, is it, do you do a retreat? You know, do you go play putt putt? Do you, you know, whatever to me, the best team builder you can do is get elite defensively. That's the best team builder out there is to get great defensively because the amount of communication, trust, effort, uh, the, the, the things it takes to be great defensively are the ultimate, you know, five guys connected flying around together. So, um, you know, we spend a lot of time on it. We, we put that, that sheet together and we try to make sure we're all on the same page in terms of our language and what, uh, you know, what this means to us, you know, individually. Let's say you're on the floor and you, you talked about it's it. Communication is a part of everything that you guys do. What are some ways that in the middle of practice or whatever, they're not communicating to the level that you want them to? What are some strategies that you use to try to, you know, pick up the communication? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously the old tried and true method of running them usually works. Uh, guys hate <laughs> running. So, um, but I think telling the coaches not to talk, just having a silent, you know, drill and, and, and the coaches don't say a word and the players are the only ones talking and a lot of times that'll engender great talk on the court what it does too is help the older guys off the court to communicate and be talking to them and teaching them what to say obviously uh the best type of leadership is regenerative leadership right so that the older guys teaching the younger guys uh how to do things and so um we love that we encourage that we want our guys you know don't don't we tell the the older guys the vets you know don't yell at them coach them you know and yeah, and, and yeah. can we help them be better but i think shutting it down, saying, hey, you know, we're not, you know, coaches, no, no talk in this drill. And, you know, from now on, it's you guys. And uh, but but those are really the two main ways, um, you know, and, and they understand we beat it, you know, into them in terms of, you know, uh, hit them over the head every day with, um, you know, effort is great. But if it's not paired with communication, you know, so so it's a big we have a big sign in our locker room talking about, you know, formula for excellence. And, and one of those is is effort with execution. Right. And so you have to pair those things together. Execution is not plausible on that end of the floor without high level communication. So whatever you can do to facilitate that, we make it a part of every drill. We, we hold them accountable. If they don't, we'll run them. We'll show them on film. You know, look, here we were in transition D and nobody got the ball. Two guys ran to the wing and this, uh, you know, gave up a paint touch and a wide open three. All that starts with. So um, we are building it into everything we do. Film study. 
uh, in practice, we'll, we'll be silent, um, running them, whatever, you know, uh, creating punishments for them uh, for, for, for not communicating. But, you know, defense, like I said, is, is all predicated on, on those two things. You know, you have other layers of it. But, you know, if you're not playing exceptionally hard and you're not in a string, you're not going to be good enough defensively to, to compete at a high level. So um, it, it's it's the combination of those two things, the pairing of that effort with that execution on both ends of the floor, but certainly uh, manifests itself uh, pretty, pretty obviously on the defensive end. Now that you've kind of, okay, you've established your communication. If we get into the, the tactical side, starting with transition defense, when does it start for you, the transition defense? Well, I think you you have to start on the on the raise of the shot, right? I mean, transition defense starts on the raise of the shot, and so we would tell our guys, you know, we have some guys. Everybody is different on that, you know. I used to be a designate, you know, this guy's a get back guy, and this guy's going the boards and whatever. And last year really forced me to kind of think about it differently because our point guard averaged seven rebounds a game, and our center averaged three. So, you know, our, our point guard was a better rebounder than our center, but I wanted our center going. And then the other, our three best players were all 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, small forwards. So who do I send back? And the answer was I didn't want to designate anybody. So what I told them was uh, on the raise of the shot, you can make an instantaneous decision to go to the glass or to get all the way back. And every player in that group has that freedom to make that decision on the raise of the shot. But no, no, no man's land, no watching and kind of walking. If you're back, you're all the way back. If you're to the glass, you are going to the glass and then forcing that guy to engage in a box out. Um, I know people say, well, maybe, you know, what if you have five guys go? Well, then if, if, if all five guys are engaged in box outs, that's going to hurt their transition anyway. And most of the time, 99% of the time, at least two guys are getting back just because they're not in position to go or they don't see themselves as going. Now we do not give that same option to guys who can't go get the ball. So if it's a, a littler guy that's not a good offensive rebounder, he's automatically, no matter what where the shot comes from, where you are, get back. But for last year, our whole starting lineup um, and, and most of our bench, uh, they had the freedom. I think there was one player in the eight who had to get back every time. Everybody else had that freedom. So I think, you know, it starts on the raise of the shot. And, and then I think it starts with the effort to sprint back, right? I mean, that's the first piece then becomes communication and awareness, right? So it starts with the effort to sprint back. You want to get five guys back and below the ball. Uh, you want to, we always say, get, you know, five guys below the ball, everybody long. You know, we want to get back and be long and, and really shrink the floor. We want to be loaded to the ball, which for us is, um, you know, there, there, there is no um, weak side, everybody's strong side or midline for that initial thrust. You know, um, what is your, you know, what, what are your teaching points? You know, for us, uh, we're talking about protect the basket, command the ball and find the most dangerous. Uh, and we want to command the ball. We want to pick that ball up no later than one step above the three point line. I think when it gets below, you're at the mercy of the offensive player. So we want to engage that ball. Our pickup point or, or point of engagement is one step above uh, the three point line. But five guys back. And, and below the ball and long, everybody loaded to the ball, you know, basket, command ball, most dangerous. Um, if there's a cross match, I, I think, you know, one thing, too, is guys trying to find their man in transition. You have no man in transition. You try to find like size if you can. 
you know, obviously, you know, you're not going to, you know, if you have a choice between, you know, you're a five ten guy and you got a choice of a six, eight or a six foot you, and you can choose, you pick the six foot, but you can't always choose, but you don't have a man in transition. So, um, you know, and if, if we do get cross match at the rim, then, uh, the first, you know, big back, uh, will, uh, you know, will, will kick out, uh, that, that guy and kick him out opposite, um, you know, and, and last guy back always, if there's a guy behind the play for whatever reason, you know, he runs back uh, weak side. So I think it starts with on the raise of the shot, making a decision. I think then it's all about effort, uh, communication, awareness, the communication piece, just like we talked about in the beginning. So vital. It's the hardest thing to do is talk in transition and get organized in transition. Um, and so, you know, getting those five guys blow the ball. And then that awareness of understanding scheme, like, hey, we want to be back for the ball. We want to be long. There is no, for that initial thrust, uh, there is no weak side of the floor. We're all midline or strong side till the ball's passed. Um, you know, how it works in terms of if there's a mismatch at the rim, a cross match at the rim, how do we kick out? What's the concept there, you know? And, and so you're going through that scheme. But to me, probably 85% of it is simply the effort to sprint back and get below the ball and be long every single time uh, along paired with the communication piece. So we're organized and matched when two guys guarding one and we know who's got what. And then 15% is probably just the grasp of the overall scheme of what you're trying to accomplish in defensive trance. Coach, if I'm the first guy sprinting back, are you, are we, am I running to the rim, to the free throw line or where would you prefer that that guy runs as, as deep as the deepest offensive player, right? So, I mean, I never want people to run to the basket because what, if, you know, like for us, we play five out. So a lot of times now if somebody gets behind the defense, they'll run, but what if there's nobody at the basket, you know? So get deep enough to be, you know, keep everything in front of you. So if somebody's running the rim and they're ahead, then you're going with them and you're busting your tail to make sure you don't get posted. You're engaging them early, being physical with them, not when they get to the charge circle, but as early as you can. If you're a little, you're trying to be physical and bump them and make sure they're not sealing you down there. Um, you know, so it really depends on the alignment of the offense when they're running. And so we do some things because we don't necessarily rim run a ton. It's like everything, you know, you work against, you know, obviously you're going to be pretty good at what you do because you see it all the time. It's working against stuff you don't see a ton. So for us, we'll do some transition defensive drills where we have a rim runner every time. And guys got to be organized in terms of, okay, there's a disadvantage as a rim runner. You know, how do we get, get whole? How do we get five on five from here with this disadvantage situation? And so um, I think anytime, you know, but I, I, to me, I'm a big believer, you know, that first protect the basket, but if there's nobody in the basket, then you're working your way out. And then the, the second guy has to command that ball. And we don't say, you know, get the ball. We want to command it. We want to let everybody know, not only, not only verbally, but visually raise your hand and let them know, you know, I got ball, I got ball and put your hand up and let them know. Okay. Now we know the ball's got, you know, now let's everybody, like I said, once you, once you command the ball, then everybody can get organized. When the ball is not commanded, it's impossible to get matched. And that's in transition and that's in scrambles, right, which are the hardest things to do defensively is to organize yourself and get back square from a transition break or from a scramble where you got broken down at the point of attack and you're flying around because tendency is guys don't don't talk their way through it. Within transition, so everybody's sprinting back and, and trying to get long and trying to get to their assignments. How do you handle and practice then say like a transition drag screen where mm -hmm. it's it's harder to, to get into your pick and roll coverage? How do you guys work on that? 
So, I mean, we, we'll we'll spend time. We'll break it down uh, four on four. We'll break it down three on three and, and work on those things. We do it some in our own transition, you know, uh, uh, part of our, uh, you know, we call our transition attack quick strike. So part of our quick strike, one of our reads is, of course, a, a drag, uh, you know, in transition. Um, for us, we're pretty fortunate that we unlike probably most colleges, we don't play a very aggressive ball screen coverage. We play our, our primary is any kind of middle ball screen to be a C coverage, which stands for center field. So okay. we're backed up anyway. So we don't have to be up to show so we can be back and loaded. And as they come off, we're really in the right place anyway. When, okay. when we're in that C coverage uh, helps us to guard those middle drags or double drags, um, you know, we, and, and so we would just tell them, you know, all right, we're going to work against the team does that then we'll simulate that with our scout team. We'll put our scout team through and we'll go, uh, you know, uh, usually maybe like an ODOD, you know, we go four possessions, offense, defense, offense, defense, we'll run something and then have them run their transition regardless. Then we come back at them and then they come back in their transition. So if it's something unique, you know, here's how we're guarding the double drags or here's how we're guarding an immediate drag screen or, or whatever the case may be. But for us, you know, uh, because of the ball screen coverage, it doesn't have as big an impact as it does for a team maybe that you're trying to show on a ball screen. You're trying to level on a ball screen where you're being really aggressive uh, in your coverage. Coach, what's kind of your, I guess, your general half-court philosophy as far as are you a no middle, force, force middle? What's kind of your principles mm-hmm. there? So we're going to be square. You know what I mean? Like we try to play it square everywhere. I mean – you know, you can slightly, you know, if you wanted to shade them, I mean, we don't want to give up middle penetration. So uh, shade them baseline, you know, but but we want to be square, you know, small, the back to the rim, you know, active hands, guarding the ball. The only time we get out of square is if we hear ice or if it's a flat middle where we would call weak or strong. Right. So mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to play square to the ball, keeping it in front of us. Um, if the ball gets to uh, the block, you know, the corner. So right, you know, at the block or below. Uh, then, then we actually try not to get beat baseline. We would try to, you know, we're square, but we're pushing it middle. So I guess if that makes sense, so we don't want to get that, that baseline drive and the rotation. So if the ball's corner, you know, a block or below, we're playing it square, but push, you know, we're going to try to, if if we're going to push anywhere, we're going to push it middle anywhere else on the floor. We're square, but we're trying not to get beat. If it's on the outer thirds, we would try to push it a little bit to the baseline, but, but we don't, we don't ever give every time I've, I've found like our stances like that. I think you, you give up too many straight line drives. We want guys to learn to play square to the ball and, and really be able to level it with their chest and, and, and move their feet. You know, I think uh, it, it's easier to slide. And of course, some guys will, will, you know, open up. And, and again, we just try to, we, we work on that a ton. We spend a ton of time in our practices uh, uh, through, you know, whether it be full court zigzags or king of the court, you know, playing ones or half court one-on-one or full court one-on-one. We're doing all kinds of stuff uh, to, to work on our ability to slide and build that technique uh, on the ball. But of course, in the half court, everything, the, the starting point for everything is being able to slide and guard, you know what I mean? And being able to guard your own man. That's the easiest way is never have to get into rotations. It's not possible, but uh, you know, um, the, the less rotations, of course, the better, right? Yeah. Yeah. With that being said, coach, how do you teach guys to be in gaps or two places at once and kind of what's the responsibilities of the gap defenders? Yeah. Um, so we look at, I know people have, you know, like hard and fast rules and there's different people, people do pack line and people do deny and all that. I've never been, we, we kind of, 
to me, defensive positioning is based on where the ball is and the threat you're guarding. So it's not a hard and fast, non-negotiable, you know, if you're guarding an elite shooter or you're guarding a non-shooter, the positioning is different, right? I mean, so, you know, I don't have, this is definitively every time, but our basics would be, we're kind of in a hybrid stance, as you'll see a lot of stuff we do is not really, so we're not open to the ball, chest to the, you know, chest the ball, and we're not, you know, uh, chest to man, butt to ball. We're kind of hybrid stance. We want our top foot facing the ball. To us, that gives us an easiest way, inside hand, inside foot, to rip those drives as they come through. We want to be 50-50 halfway between our man and the ball as split that difference as best we can. Top foot up towards the ball, um, you know, and, and, and then we're one step, hopefully, below the ball line. All right, one step below the ball line, 50-50, shrinking in, ready to play any drive. We want to get that inside hand, inside foot. Um, you know, we always tell our guys best defenders are two places at once. You know, they're, they're, they're shrinking, they're stunting, they're making the ball handler see that gap, but they're also know they're able to, to get back out to shooting. And so we're, we're big believers in, you know, um, you guard the ball collectively, you contest individually, right? So, you know, guarding the ball is a five man, you know, obligation. So uh, it's a five man endeavor. So, uh, but contesting is, is an individual you know, multiple efforts, right? Can you shrink and can you get out and get a great contest and have quick hands and make the shot difficult, you know, uh, for the player? Um, I think the other thing in those, in those shrinks um, is understanding and reading drives, right? You know, not all drives are the same. There's really three types. There's the blow by. Um, and a lot of times we want our guys and we have, we have pretty smart guys. Uh, we'll go that, which is, I guess, a jump switch. I don't know. People call it different stuff. We call it a go. But if it's a blow by, we can we'll, we'll go in a two man game. So if there's a drive and we can slide over and full body and take that, and the defender got beat goes and takes mine, we go a lot of those. If it's a blow by, if it's a 50 50 guys on his hip, then we want to be the two places at once, stunting, shrinking. And if he tries to drive us inside foot, inside hand, but never lose sight of our man, you know, obviously that's hard. Uh, you know, basics. You know, see ball, see man, never lose sight of of either. And if it's a flat drive where the guy's driving it, but he's not getting anywhere, then there's no reason to help at all. I think, you know, we, we, we hit our, we try to pound into our guys, uh, appropriate help, appropriate help. Overhelping is as bad as underhelping. Uh, you know, so, so being able to give appropriate help, reading a drive and the basic premise being if the ball is coming towards you, inch out to your man, if the ball's going away from you, pull in. Right. And so, uh, everything we do in terms of shrinking the floor is is based on that. But we're not a, a pack line team and we're not a deny <clears throat> team. We want to get in the ball and really uh, impact the ball and make the offensive player feel us to whatever level we can on the ball, being square and and and, and putting some pressure on it. And then we want to be that, that one step below that hybrid stance and really be active off the ball. I think that's a big issue for teams is – you know, off the ball, guys have a tendency to stand or stand up or get stationary. Can you show length off the ball? And can you be long yeah. off the ball, uh, be low and wide off the basketball and shrink that floor and be ready, uh, you know, because drives are going to come. Guys are going to get beat to the point of attack. And you got to, you know, th that's a great way to, to, to get some turnovers, uh, you know, where, where, where guys are, are intelligent about that and then still do that without giving up that driving kick three. Coach, on the kickout, after you've stunted, um, what are kind of the teaching points if they stunt and on the, let's say, the closeout, 
uh, that you're mm-hmm. teaching it? Like, are you teaching them an angle, the footwork on this, the kickout pass? And yeah. That's the stunt? So I think, you know, hopefully uh, we're, we're low enough, you know, a step below the ball line that, that we're not having to close out from high to low. So, <clears throat> but if the player was below us, obviously you would run a banana and go low to high to close out. But on a general deal, they're kicking it. Um, you know, footwork is, is you're sprinting out and then we're saying slide in the last two steps. I know some people, you know, we say just slide the last two. And to me on any kind of closeout, you know, <clears throat> you're trying to uh, take away shot, take away pass, take away drive, right? I mean, that's the ideal, you know, of a closeout. So how do you take away shot, pass, hands? We don't, you know, like a lot of things, we're not going to have a hard and fast non-negotiable. They can go with a one hand or two hands, whatever's, uh, you know, more comfortable for them. They cannot go no hand. Um, you know, that's, that's the one because, because that's the shot. And, and that was, so we want to always talk about our guys, quick hands, quick hands, you know, being able to, to trace that ball, never let the ball, never let the ball get above your hands. So as you go, balls raised, you know, you got to keep your hand above the ball. Um, and then as you go, the, as you slide in those last two thirds, <clears throat> that's about breaking down, getting your butt down, getting your weight going back so you can absorb the drive. So butt goes down, hands go up, weight goes back. And now we're taking away, hopefully shot. We're making any kind of pass difficult because we're keeping our hand above the ball. And then our weight going back allows us to absorb uh, that drive. Uh, that never And we're going to you know, push back and really try to get our chest on the ball, uh, you know, on that by, by hopefully by the second dribble at the latest, we want to make physical contact with our chest. And then we want to make sure we're staying low to be able to get the change of direction. Uh, I, you know, we have on our, our board in our, our locker room, like these absolutes, you know, and, and one of the absolutes is, you know, protect the rim, protect the line without fouling. And so like last year, we were number one in the nation in, in, in field goal defense, but I think we were two or three in the nation in three-point defense. And we had the fewest fouls in our league. So we were a really good defensive team, right? We didn't foul much. We forced people to about 36%. And, you know, we did a great job defending the three-point line. But that goes back to that teaching point of making sure when you're a shrink team, you're going to be a closeout team. you got to work on closeouts every day. Because if you're going to play that way and you're going to shrink the floor, you're in constant, constant closeout. So to get a lead at that, you know, I mean, that's that's so important uh, in the half court, really nothing more important in the half court than being an elite closeout team. If you're going to be a shrink team, it's not as important. Maybe if you're a, you know, if you're a denial team and you're you know, you're not really worried about that as much or much less closeouts that way. I got to ask because um, I'm interested in this defensive topic, but the rise of you know teams running split cuts either from mm-hmm. the elbow or from the post and then all mm-hmm. sorts of split action on the perimeter your thoughts and kind of defensive philosophy on guarding those cuts, uh, not on the ball, obviously, but off the ball. Yeah. Um, so we, we play a split cut uh, the same way, whether it comes from the post or, or elbow, what have you, we, um, you know, fortunately we, we run a lot of split cuts. So, you know, we, we play to a lot of, uh, you know, we, we call them gets where we throw it and chase it and we can play the split. So we guarded a ton you know, zoom action for us, you know, all that type of stuff where you down screen dribble, you know, all that type of stuff. So low splits, high splits, any splits. Um, to me, simply um, the guy going to screen, anytime your guy is setting a screen, you know, uh, you're the basket protection, right? So anytime your guy, whether it's a down screen, split cut, bat, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're the basket protection. So that guy has got to, as you go, your guy's going to screen, 
you've got to loosen up and be and be ready. The guy guarding the screen, um, you know, we want that guy to get low and locked. So we always say one way to go is the key, right? Because so many times guys play them chest to chest and, and they get back cut or they can come off and they get screwed up. So get low and locked and give the offensive player one way to go. If you get to the split and they tight curl it or they, they do that, then it becomes the guy who's basket protection. It becomes an automatic switch. Okay. Um, you know, if, if he comes off it, uh, then, you know, you're, you're able to kind of read that as to how you want to go at the point of the screen. You know, do you want to quick whip it? Do you want to chase it? It would depend on the depth and width and, and obviously the personnel, the person you're guarding, right? All that factors into, you know, for us, a whip, we talked about terminology is, is an under, right? An under for us is a whip. And so as we get to the point of the screen, uh, we'll allow them, hey, you know, you can quick whip this or, you know, this is an elite shooter, man. You got to chase over it or it's so low that you got to chase over, even though it's not an elite shooter. Right. So, um, you know, we will, we, uh, that's the way we teach it. Any kind of screening, whether it's a ball screen, a down screen, a back screen, whatever the guy screening is always the basket protection. So if something happens like on a down screen, it will be the same thing. If we're guarding a wide pin, the guy tight curls and he gets it, that becomes an automatic veer for us. Again, terminology is a switch that becomes a veer, right? So that, that guy takes it, guy who got screened, guard, you know, guard, you know, now. So um, that's, the, that's the same concept for us in any screening action that we're going to guard. One of the things the hardest to guard in a split cut is the, the bottom guy in the split cut setting a flare and then maybe a flare slip. How yes. do you guys navigate that? So, well, we do it again, you know, we, a lot of stuff we do sounds very similar offensively. So we get pretty good at guarding that. But so, so how do you guard players? Right. And that becomes, you know, whether you're a big or a guard or whomever, a lot of times for us, it's two guards in this player action. You know, to me, you should be a step to the inside, you know what I mean? And off a step and a half or two, because if that guy gets off it and wraps it, that becomes your responsibility, right? Yeah. So you're off it a little bit, you're backed up, you're inside the screen so they can't slip it. And then the read is the same for the guy getting the flare screen. Does he want to go over the top and it's a, it's a good shooter or he thinks it's low enough on the floor that he has to chase this guy and be physical and get over the top? And if he, knowing that if that guy comes off it and curls it, that his teammate who's the basket protection is going to take that, it's going to be a switch. Or, you know, d- does he want at the point of the screen, he recognizes it's high on the floor, this guy's an average shooter, I'm going to get to the point of the screen, I'm going to quick whip this underneath. And if he bumps it back, I'm fine. You know, so, so that's the way we try to protect against either option on those, on those flares. That is hard to guard. You know, you throw the elbow or top of the key and you're getting that flare. You got to be disciplined to be inside. Guy getting screened has got to try to get physical and wore him over. And knowing that the basket protection, if he gets beat over the top and they wrap that, if it's a, you know, it's always about, you know, difference in vertical and horizontal, right? If it's vertical, he comes off and he's going vertical to the rim. We got to probably switch that. If it's horizontal and he's flaring out for a shot, just keep chasing, just keep chasing. And then the basket guy, the guy guarding the screener, be, you know, uh, a step or step and a half inside of the screening action. Don't allow that, you know, don't allow that slip. I guess kind of moving to the next situation I'm curious about is how do you defend like the stack screen or the Spanish pick and roll? Mm, yeah, that's an interesting one. We've been, we've been working on it and it's actually uh, talking with a lot of, a lot of friends on what's the, the best way to do that. Right. So um, it, it's, it's, I think what, what we're doing right now, um, you know, we want to play it 
two on two, like we would a normal ball screen. Right. So Mm -hmm. for us, um, you know, most of the time our base coverage on those middle pick and rolls is C, right. We can be uh, C2 or C3, you know, C, you know, depending on who's coming off, right. C2 is playing it two on two. C3 is playing it with three. So you're up higher. It's maybe a better offensive player coming off. And you got to get a third defender involved, right? Because you can't let them come off and just kill you with mid-ranges. So it depends on, on who it is and what we're doing. Um, goal is to play it to play it two-on-two, two, though, for most cases. As your guy comes in the paint, you know, to, if, if you can see it from a mile away, then the big can just back up under it. Most teams do a pretty good job of disguising it. Maybe they run a weave or some different, you know, false action into that, into that Spain pick and roll. Um, to me, if your guy is in the lane... He's there for one of two reasons. He's either getting a screen or setting a screen, right? I mean, there's no other reason for somebody to be standing in the lane, whatever they do to get there. So as you recognize that, as he comes off, what we're teaching our guys is to try to jam the screener and push him away from the action. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Or even towards the action, basically make it where he can't set the back screen on the big. We try to get up on the side of him. Yeah, we would try to get up on the side of him and push him. It really doesn't matter which way, just look yeah. away from. So if the big drops, it's okay. If there's contact made where this, you know, we try to jam him, but the screen is set, then that becomes an automatic switch. The big, we want the big to roll same side as the roll. Don't, don't get screened and roll that way. The bigs, obviously, usually if the screen's coming to the right, the big's rolling the opposite way. So if you get nailed, spin off the same side as the roll, switch that guard to guard, and the guard who's chasing take the guy coming up because he's going to be delayed because he's setting the screen anyway, right? And so, but if there's no screen, no scheme, that's, you know, know, terminology, right? No screen, no scheme. Mm -hmm. So if if he slips out of it early or whatever, there's, you know, we're we're pursuing and chasing. But our, our thing has been to try to jam that and we don't really care which way they jam it, but if they jam it, try to push it up and let the big get below that so there's no screen. It makes it impossible to set that back screen. But if it is set, ready to immediately switch that and tell them, you know, switch, 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 and kick up and take that guy coming up. And the big rolls same side. The big that's got screened goes same side as the roll. On top of that, Coach, with a middle pick and roll, whether it's Spain action or whether it's just two guys in the middle pick and roll, how important – is it for the defender guarding the ball to force a side or force, you know, force to a weak hand? Is that part of the yeah. middle pick and roll action? Yeah. So we, we basically depends on how it's set. If it's like a stationary middle angle, then we want to force them into the screen. Like we would never ice or anything or jump or force, you know, I just think if you're trying to do that in the middle, a lot of times you're forcing a guy to his left if the offense is smart, you're in that drop coverage, they can hit the seam right there. And that's a hellacious thing to guard uh, on that middle pick and roll. So we would be yelling, you know, uh, if it's, if it's coming from the the left side of the floor to the right side, we, you know, we'd be yelling, you know, see left, see left, you know, so they know uh, that guy has got to get in. He's square to the ball still. And our whole thing in that is, you know, eat space, right. Attach and direct every ball screen. We want to attach, to the offensive player and we want to direct them where they're going not you know be backed up and hit the screen so we think that gives us doesn't mean we're going to go over every screen we may attach and direct and as we get to the screen slide underneath it you know and and, and whip it right yeah. we may go over the top and try to blow it up depends on who it is and for the most part you know if it's a great elite player we say we're over everything if it's a guy who can't shoot at all 
Uh, we call it a muck guy. If it's a muck guy, we would go under everything. But for the 80% of players, it's a navigate. You know, we give that discretion to the guy on the ball, but we don't give them discretion as you got to get low and locked and eat that space, jam it, and then and then read how you want to play it. And then the guy, uh, you know, in, in the drop coverage is, is responsible for, you know, keeping the ball on the roll in front. Okay. So, um, but yeah, that's so, yeah, but I think it's, I think that's vital to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're communicating it and you're forcing him, you know, ball screen coverage, the two things that can't happen are rejects and rolls, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that, you know, the, the basic premise of any ball screen, however your coverage is, should be, you know, don't get rejected and don't give up a roll basket. Everything else you can kind of work out, but no reject the rolls. With the direct, what are kind of your teaching points there? Because is there a point where maybe they direct too much to where they're opening up and putting themselves at too much where they're just, you know, you're already chasing before really the screen's even been set? Yeah. So what we, what we do in an in a ice, you know, in, in our C coverage, they're square to the ball. So when they get in, we want them to stay square. We just want to get into them and really try to push them mm-hmm. to use the screen. You know what I mean? And so okay. I would rather get beat over the top of that because we can cover that than get rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if that, that makes sense. You know what yeah. I mean? So yep. uh, getting into the ball, we still want to kind of stay square, but we want to we want to take away the ability to reject us, push them over the screen. And if we get beat on a vertical drive, then we're going to veer that. And we're going to make that guard okay. make a shot over a bigger guy at the rim, which we'll live with. You know, like I think, uh, you know, defensively, you know, everything you want to do, if you want to protect the rim and the line, then, you know, you're going to have to live with uh, mid-range jumpers. And we, you know, I think I was, a guy did an article on us and he was, I don't know, it's an analytics guy, but he was talking about that we gave up, I I think three and a half more off the dribble twos than any team in the country, which is like a astounding amount of off the dribble twos. And he's like, you know, I was like, that's by, you know, design. We, that, that's the hope. I mean, you know, if, if yeah. you're shooting an off the dribble too, uh, we feel like that was a good possession. Whether you make them or yep. you miss them, you know, we don't feel like you're going to make enough mid-range twos to beat us. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, so you have to make a, a, a ton. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, if, if they're going to, if, if we get beat over the top on that screen, I'd rather not get rejected. And if it's a vertical and, and we die on the screen or we get clipped and we can't get back in front, you know, we have the line of demarcation where we say if the ball, you know, gets below this line, if the guard knows he can't get back in front, he sees the numbers, he can call it whenever. But, you know, kind of right below the free throw line is a line of demarcation. The ball's in there. It's a veer. And the big has now got to keep, you know, guard the ball. And, and we've got to try to uh, get underneath and, and, you know, and veer that and not allow the roll, not allow the offensive rebound, make that guard make a tough shot over the top of a, a bigger defender at the rim. Coach, with your C coverage, what have teams done in the past that will cause you to maybe get out of it? Is it more personnel driven or is there some tactics that seem to really kind of exploit your C coverage? Uh, I mean, you know, I think that the biggest thing is it puts a lot of pressure on your bigs, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because they've got to really be cat and mouse and be able to kind of stunt and keep the ball in front. We had a big last year that averaged, I think, seven points and three rebounds a game. and, And he's a pro in Barcelona. Uh, because of how elite, you know, he was in pick and roll coverage. I mean, he was elite in pick and roll coverage. Did an unbelievable job of being able to play that C coverage. I think what you give up and what teams can do, if you if you play that way and you have a, a – now, we wouldn't play that way if you had a shooting big, but if you have bigs that can shoot, you know, that yeah. bothers it. 
if you have guys that are elite in the mid range. And that's why, you know, you got to have multiple, like you got to be able to show if, Hey, this is a scenario where, man, you know, we've got to be able to show on this, this action, this big, you know, so we played a team last year that a four man, that was a phenomenal offensive rebounder and a good shooter. And we would switch any screen he set on two and three. But if he screened our one, it was five, 10, 150. We showed every screen because we didn't want that switch to happen to be punished on the old glass, right? And then they had another player that was a really good mid-range player and other guys who we wanted taking mid-range. So the guy who was a really good mid-range player, we were in C3, which meant we were up and closer in our drop coverage. And everybody else, we were in C2. We were backed up and and letting them take those mid-ranges. And our guys, so going into every game, we kind of plan that out personnel-wise and, and decide, you know, how we're going to approach every ball screen, knowing that, you know, that may change inside that game because, you know, what was is not always what is. And all we care about is what's happening in that 40-minute window out there on the court. So um, having those contingency plans in your back pocket. But, um, you know, those are the main things. Like if you have the, – the hardest thing is probably, honestly, bigs that are like maybe slightly below average shooters, but they're capable – and you're playing the C coverage because if you know a guy can really shoot, you're not going to play, you know, that drop coverage. Yeah. And 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 then the same thing with guys who maybe aren't really good mid range players, but in that they are. And and you can get if your big doesn't do it right. I think when you're playing, you know, the the drop coverage, you know, uh, there's an ability to to pick up fouls or let the roll get below. The MIG is usually less cognizant of things because of. Uh, you know, normally we're playing it two on two. So he's not as worried about being in and absorbing the role. So if the role gets below you. It's a bigger issue than if you're used to that and you're used to the role getting below and that, that, that MIG, that low man is absorbing that role. I got playing too. So I think those are the things that cause it the most uh, issue you see at the NBA level They're they're doing the, um, you know, I think Tice is great at it doing, they call it the Gortat. Uh, you know, where they roll and kind of, I think it would probably be a foul in college basketball, but they roll <laughs> right. and and he seals, you know, the big who's dropping and it gives, you know, a, a Tatum, I guess is the best example coming off. And then he'll, he'll snake it back and Tice will just roll and sprint in and seal and it, it creates a wide open layup. So um, again, I, I don't think it's illegal, probably illegal in college, but that would be something we haven't seen that, but that would probably be it. That's another thing at the, at the NBA level. Uh, that you're seeing that's causing a lot of issues for teams that 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 play that C coverage. Coach, this has been uh, so for this has been uh, defensive. Just uh, well, we did X and O. Boring defense. Boring defense. That's <laughs> well, so, so we got the uh, you know the, the X and O crowd with uh, Boyvers X and O extravaganza, and we'll get the different. Oh gosh, X and yeah. O there's crowd. nobody. Listen, you got the best there is with the X's and O's. With uh, <laughs> you got Zach on there, Cody Pinone. I mean, you guys have had a. I don't know whatever your ceiling is with guests. We know after today what the floor is, but we do not know what the, <laughs> the ceiling is. Oh, is okay. Just, well, this, no, this has been unbelievable. Um, I, I can't take notes fast enough. Uh, we we do want to have a little bit of time for our overrated, underrated segment. So, Pat, yeah. if you're or if you're ready for for that, co- coach. Ready. So, if you're ready, we'll we'll transition to overrated, underrated. <laughs> so, we'll quickly give you a, a couple of basketball topics. You let us right. know overrated, underrated, and then we can uh, go through there. So, what about uh, for you guys? Defensive podcasts, overrated, underrated, underrated, <laughs> underrated. Yeah, under. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this has been great. So, it's uh, awesome. I've been been fun to do. First one for you, Coach. Overrated or underrated? The 
pre-practice or pre-game coffee? Ooh, um, for me, it would be overrated because you get to my age and, you know, anytime you drink coffee, you're just peeing all day. So I can't, you know, I can't be, I would be, I would be dead. I got my morning coffee, but, but besides that, I gotta, I gotta stay away. Uh, it gets later in the day. I'm too old. It affects my sleep. You know, I have to go to the bathroom all the time. It'd be, be a bad deal. Plus before a game, I'm a, I'm a nervous wreck. So I wouldn't, okay. wouldn't want to add any caffeine. <laughs> I have to coax myself out of the locker room. So I'm just curled up in the field position under my desk and they gotta, they gotta come get me out with about two minutes to go. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I, uh, at this point in my career, I still enjoy about an hour before Maybe not a full cup of coffee, but just just a little something to. Oh, coffee's the best. I wake up. That's the first thing I do every morning, uh, without fail. Every single day is 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 coffee. Usually have a, you know, a couple cups, and yeah, that's that's how I start my day every day. And if yeah. I could handle it, I would do it before a game or before practice as well. <laughs> There's nothing better than uh, you know getting into an edit or watching film with a, a fresh cup of coffee and, uh, uh, and diving in. Best. Pretty good. The best. I agree. <laughs> coffee is underrated you know coffee <laughs> itself is underrated for sure coach overrated underrated the offensive charge rule offensive charge rule i, I think it, it's become probably uh overrated i think just because they call it you know it, it's almost any time somebody hits the floor now it's it's a charge i think we have trouble discerning was a person moving were they sliding underneath um, I love the idea of taking charge. I think putting your body in there and protecting the rim is great, but man, I think it's become, become overrated because I think it's just almost feels like 80%, 90% of the time that there's a bang, bang play and the guy hits the floor that a, a charge is called. And I don't know that it's, it's, it would probably to me be more, more likely or, or usually when I watch film, um, more more times than not, it's it's the defender was sliding or moving at the point of contact to try to try to get the charge. But look, that's a great play. There's no better you know playing basketball than that. Kyle Lowry, uh, some of those guys are just are just remarkable at it and uh, turnover foul everything. So it's a great play. But I think the the call itself uh, is 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 probably gotten wrong more than any other call in basketball. It's such a subjective bang bang call. But the play itself underrated and again Kyle Lowry some of those guys when you're a little that's the only way to protect the basket right is to get in there and you're not going to vertical contest or block a shot so you better slide in and be ready to, to take a charge I think that part like I said because it's a foul on the player because it's a turnover it's as valuable a play as there is with a personnel who uh, they're in between not an elite shot blocker or not you know a Kyle, Kyle Lowry type do you have a preference as like try to take the charge or do a vertical contest? I'm a big believer in the vertical contest. Uh, you know, we, we break it down. We do it. Uh, that's something we go to usually um, in water break drills. We'll do different, you know, stuff in our water breaks that are like, you know, things that maybe not going to get to inside of your practice. You know, maybe we're doing specials or whatever, but uh, vertical contests and V-backs are something we do all the time in, in water break. And we, we talk about them. We chart them in game. So like that's an analytics chart for us. I think I think that um, you know is 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 so important is to get there and do it without you know without turning your body. And if you're not a great shot blocker, and and you're not a guy who's terrific at taking charges and just putting your body and trying to force a guy to miss and not giving an angle, you'd be amazed at how many you know close in shots are missed over a vertical contest, even if it's not a guy who has great length. Um, it's just a hard thing to do to make it with that body contact. It just, 
so I would say that that to me is 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 underrated. Something you you really got to drill with your team and something you got to credit. I, you know, we'll talk about that in uh, the day after watching film. You know, hey, so and so had X amount of vertical contests. Um, you know, blow buys are a part of that because we chart that as well. So usually a vertical contest is based on some sort of blow by. So you know, it's it's a you know, but it's and look, you're going to have mistakes, point of attack, and you got to be able to erase those mistakes and vertical contest. Uh, outside of a block shot or a charge is the best way to do it. You, you piqued my interest. What's kind of the go-to drill for you for the, the practicing the vertical contest? Uh, vertical contest. So we'll do um, we'll do really simple. We'll uh, we'll start a coach on the block with a you know pad. We'll have a coach on the opposite elbow with a ball. Uh, we'll have a player on the on the uh, same elbow as the uh, opposite elbow of the coach and the guy guarding the coach with the pad. That coach with the ball will just drive it from there. We'll come over vertical contest and we'll bring that guy back and V back. And we do the same thing. Uh, we do the same thing in, in like a, a breakdown drill. We'll do, uh, you know, maybe uh, some ball screen work and then we'll get it reversed to a slot drive and we'll vertical contest the slot drive and then we'll skip it out at X and then we'll drive it again and we'll vertical contest the slot drive and, and you know, and making sure that we, you know, we're able to do those things and, and, and it's just repping it and drilling it. And we'll show them edits too. I think that's an underrated thing, you know, is like uh, to me, probably the best guy in the NBA at it's Aaron Baines. You know, Brooke Lopez is great at it too, but those guys that really do a phenomenal job, part of our teaching tapes and we do, we put together a teaching tape for the group every year that we show in August of stuff, you know, that we think is important. And, and obviously the guys all love the NBA. So we do it mainly NBA um, is, you know, showing them the, the importance and how to vertical contest. So, uh, but that's my, my go-to drill would be that water break drill, just two minutes mm -hmm. and, and get as many vertical contest V-backs as you can. Just get them thinking about it. Coach, just cause you've said it a couple of times now, I want to, you're saying water break drills. Can you explain what you mean? Yeah. So when we, uh, you know, when we practice, um, we usually give our guys a, a, a water break or, or two water breaks in practice. When we do that, uh, we normally give them somewhere between, you know, four to five minutes and but we'll have some days it's broken up by guards and bigs some days it's broken up by blue and white we're working in those in that water break drill while one group drinks the other group is doing something i see okay. so yeah. and it's usually something kind of esoteric you know that that is not something that you're working on inside of practice right so you know vertical contest is a, is a great example maybe it's you know, uh, three on three rebounding against a coach is working on checking out. Maybe it's how we guard. Uh, maybe it's, a, you know, how we guard, you know, flat ball screens in the middle of the floor against a shooting big. Um, you know, maybe like yesterday it was uh, side out of bounds, like special situations, you know, you know, uh, you need a three, you need a two. Um, and, and you take these two or three minutes and you work on stuff that you need to, to get to that you maybe can't get to. I've never been a big believer in, hey, go get water and shoot free throws. You know, I think, you know, go get water and work on something. And if you take that five or six minutes, everybody gets to, to do something and they get to decompress for two, three minutes. And then we meet back. And a lot of times we'll get to two water breaks uh, inside there and we'll do two things that and I keep a list like a menu of what we call water break drills that, that we can do. Um, and, and we go to those and I'll, I'll use one or two of them every single day. Uh, and so whatever it is, if it's eight minutes, 10 minutes a day, um, 
that, that they're getting those reps. Like, again, it's half. So maybe, maybe guards are working on, you know, guarding a ball screen and getting over the top and elite pursuit. And, and then they throw it back and now they're working on in the gap and stunting and, you know, and then closing out and guarding two dribbles. And then okay. uh, the bigs are working on veers. So they're coming off and the guy's getting downhill, the coach attacking them and they're working on not, you know, not, not giving up an angle at the rim. Right. And you could do, you know, two minutes, two and a half minutes of each of those guards one you know bigs the other in five minutes you've gotten some work in that you weren't getting otherwise okay thank you for that that's great yeah mm-hmm. okay coach overrated or underrated boxing out or blocking out oh i think i think um very underrated uh look nothing more important in def- in defense in the bookends right and that's transition d and and not giving up second chance opportunities we talked early about you know, to, to win, you have to eliminate losing. Another one of those absolutes is second chance opportunities. You got it. You got to take those away from teams. Those are, those are devastating. So, um, you know, the ability to box, uh, is massive. If your guy goes, we talk about every time you got to check and you got to be physical. The thing that happens to a lot of guys is if, if, if their guy doesn't go, the tendency is to wander into the rim and inevitably the ball kicks back over your head and it's right where you would have been. So getting guys, to check and see if their guy's going, if their guy is going to put a body and be physical with them. And if their guy's not going to hold their position okay, and just, and just recognize what's going on. Because a lot of times, even if the ball bounces short and you got guys who are boxing out and, and they're fighting for a rebound, our point guard was great at, he would come in and get all, we call them engaged rebounds, right? Like the bigs are fighting it out. They're battling and they're, they're boxing and holding and grabbing each other. And here comes, and the ball's being batted up and here comes the point guard flying in by himself and grabbing the rebound. And, you know, so, uh, but we, we chart that as part of our analytics, you know, box out percentage. Uh, and, and we, and we look at that. We think that's vital, uh, to winning games, being able to put a body on somebody and, and keep teams off the offensive bias. Yeah. And just a, a quick follow up. And I guess the reason for the question there was, you know, obviously having differences in guys rebounding abilities and, you know, you have certain guys that can just fly and go get the ball. And yes. do you want them to spend time going to try to find a guy to hit them and block them out? As opposed yeah. to just, hey, go get that thing and your your non-rebounding guys spending time hitting. So because our guys probably won't listen to this podcast, I would say like our, <laughs> our guys. So our, our best rebounder is our worst box out guy. Okay. Right. I mean, he's the worst box out guy. Now he gives up some, you know, oh boards because his guy will go and he doesn't get it. But he gets so many more than he gives up that the trade off is worth it. So, yes, if, you know, Emmanuel Terry was one, um, you know, he played here. He's national player of the year, played in the NBA. He's over uh, in Serbia right now. Right. And, um, you know, elite, elite rebounder, Um, never boxed anybody out. But he was six, eight, six, nine, you know, uh, top one percent NBA athlete. So, no, we never taught him, hey, to go, go, you know hit check, you know, frame your face type stuff. Just go get the ball. Um, But, you know, but for our guys, those guys are more rare that are just those elite innate rebounders. Most everybody has got to hit and, and, and check and make sure that if their guy's going, that they're not giving them that running start. Cause you know, it's a handful of guys that can do that. And the vast, vast majority of guys need to check. So you try to hold everybody accountable, knowing, like I said, our, our best rebounder, who's like a six, six kid, he's going to be our worst box out guy, but our best rebounder. So I, I, 
it's like anything, you know, you, you, uh, you live with the trade-offs <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And so I'd love for him to be boxing every time, but if, if it took away detractors rebounding, I'm fine with him giving up a couple, but, but getting way more than his fair share. Okay. Coach overrated, underrated 20 minute halves. I think overrated. I like to go to 10 minute quarters. I think that's, I think the game should really, um, you know, it, it, there should be uniformity uh, in the game. Right. I mean, you know, I think the, the international game is phenomenal. We went over to Canada a couple of years ago and uh, from the 24 second clock, we've already got the, the three point line um, to the 14 reset, uh, you know, on an offensive rebound or foul or whatever, you know, I, I just think, you know, the, the quarters being able to advance the ball late in the game, you know, all those things would, would, would create some level of uniformity across basketball, at least at the college international and NBA levels. And so uh, I'd love to see a, a move towards that, but the quarters give you more situations, right? Two for ones and, and uh, you know, late clock scenarios. And so when we scrimmage, we do them in the, you know, in quarters uh, just to give our guys, create more of those scenarios, understanding two for ones and, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, that's, that's, uh, I would say uh, for sure, that's overrated. Last one for me here, overrated or underrated playing one-on-one for skill development. I think vastly underrated. Uh, I think, I think that's, that's one of the best things you can do is to go and and play one-on-one, you know, and, and being able to, to work on your offensive game, being able to work on being able to slide and guard, uh, you know, we do it a ton. We'll, we'll, we'll play uh, usually once a week, maybe twice a week. We go king of the court. We'll break them up into different baskets and play off, whether it's, you know, flip the ball and play it one-on-one or play off a closeout or, or what have you. We'll do it, you know, full court one-on-one with the zigzags. We'll do it with towels and have to hold a towel over them and so they can't use their, you know, I mean, we, we do one-on-one you know, maybe half court, just coming, you know, uh, one line going right the other way, one line going right this way, and you're playing one-on-ones in the half. Um, whatever it is, we play a ton of one-on-one. I think that's the best way, um, you know, to, you know, it's, it's such an important part of winning. It's such an important part of defense. That's the best way that you can work on your ability to slide and guard the ball, particularly if you go against somebody who's, who's either faster than you or better than yeah. you. You know, I think that's that's such a, a benefit. And, and so um, we really encourage our guys to, to do that. Like in the off season, we do it all throughout the season. But, you know, off season as well, come in, play against each other, work on your game. It's a it's a great conditioner. It's a great way to get better on both sides of the ball. I couldn't I think it's 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 vastly, vastly underrated in terms of, of people using that as part of their practices on a day to day basis. Coach, just a real quick follow up, because I agree with you. From one-on-one to five-on-five, is there one of those scenarios that you also think is underrated, like guys should play more of two-on-two or three-on-three? Yeah. I think I think three-on-three three out of your actions is, is vastly underrated, okay. right? I mean, we do, um, you know, most days we do, uh, uh, we call it offensive specificity, but it's like a three-on-O, you know, we'll break down parts of our offense and and we'll, we'll tell them, you know, we're getting shots from here, 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 and all three guys get a shot. Um, but I love, uh, taking our offense and maybe on one end, uh, you know, going a five minute segment where you're playing off this action, then a five minute segment, you're playing off that action. So our King of the court might be 15 minutes, five minutes of one-on-one and then five minutes of this three on three action, five minutes of that three on three action, but getting them, you know, it's like everything else, right? Like people talk about, 
you know, player development. And I agree. I think there's, there's a confusion sometimes of like between skill acquisition where you improve somebody's ball handling, passing, their, their shooting, their footwork, their finishing, whatever, and then actual player development, which is improving their decision-making, right? Mm-hmm. Basketball is a game of decisions. So just like anything, you want to get better at shooting, you go shoot 500 shots a day or 1,000 shots a day. You want to get better at decision-making, make decisions, <laughs> right? Right. But I mean, so, so our pre-practice work against the coaches, we do a lot of simulations and we'll, you know, the coaches will give them random scenarios and they got to figure out, you know, three on three, how they're guarding, you know, how they're doing that. And we try to blend our pre-practice work from, you know, straight, we call vitamins like skill acquisition, and then also get some scenarios in there uh, where we're going against and guys have to figure out what the right play is. Um, I think that's that when you do that three on three, the amount of reps and it takes guys off the floor and it gives them a chance to maybe see things a little clearer than they can five on five, which is particularly beneficial for your younger guys. All right, coach, my last over under for you is a uh, toughness drills and practice. Yeah, I, I would say overrated. I'm not a big, uh, you know, like uh, we call them meat drills, you know, we're trying to, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, you know, when I was a younger coach, I, I think I believed in those. And uh, I did a, my first year, I remember doing a loose ball drill. I would just, you know, stand on the baseline and there'd be two lines and I'd throw it and they'd dive on it. And guy dove on a guy's head. And, you know, next thing you know, he's bleeding everywhere. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, this is ridiculous. Uh, So I guess, you know, to me, toughness should be, a. it's like everything. People say, how do you work on a rebound? And you work on every drill. How do you work on toughness? Every drill, everything you do, uh, should be about toughness. And if guys aren't playing tough, then you have to call them out or, or, or somehow, you know, punish the group or the individual or whatever the case may be. Um, but, but that should just be emphasized in, in everything you do. So we don't do, I mean, th- there's drills we do that we think are like a toughness drill. Like uh, I'll give you one example. And I think it builds toughness is, uh, we call it the cage drill and we'll put some constraints on, but it's four on four and maybe you can, I may say, hey, we're playing four on four, one dribble, or we're playing four on four and we got to get to a ball screen. Or we're playing four on four, uh, no rules or whatever the case may be. Right. And they have to go through and the team on defense as the and the team cycle through midcourt. Right. So you got the cones out and they're coming through midcourt. We put 60 seconds on the clock. Any defensive breakdown resets the clock to a minute. So group one comes in, they're playing D, maybe they miss a shot. There's 52 on the clock. Next group's coming right through. Now they got a guard and they make another stop. They got, you know, 40 seconds left. That third group comes in there's a breakdown on a blow by resets to a minute. And now we go back And it. So that, you know, we try to create those, uh, that toughness, hopefully inside of, uh, some of the drills we do, you know, and, um, you know, we call those, uh, you know, the hunger game days, right. <laughs> Where we, we really get after it and, uh, uh, and we test them, you know, uh, physically and mentally, we try to, for, I guess, lack of a better term, kind of, uh, weave that into our day-to-day stuff. And we emphasize that in everything we do, because there's no, um, you know, it, it, the attributes of a, of a championship team, I mean, mental and physical toughness would be at the top end of that. Right. I mean, with right, right with work ethic, you know, would be the, the, the things you need, you know, on selfishness. There's, there's certain things, but, you know, a team that really is committed and a team that's mentally and physically tough, you don't have that. You don't have a chance, you know. So that we, we, I would say that is doing it that way, like meat drills, charge drills, loose ball drills, not a huge fan unless you're just punishing them or, you know, something like that. But um, 
building it into your day-to-day practice, I, I love that idea. And it has to be a part of uh, your program. You don't have mentally and physically tough guys. doesn't matter how much talent you have. That's great. Coach, you're uh, you're off the overrated, underrated hot seat. You you, you killed it, <laughs> man. Thank God, I, I was that was that was tough, man. That was tough. I, and then you have a tough act to follow, you know, Bobear. And then you know, <laughs> yeah, you he's, he's, he's the best over under guy of all. He, he made that famous. Man. You guys made that. <laughs> and having Zach on there, my gosh, unbelievable. Well, you you were awesome. Cody was reciting old school. You know, I mean, everybody's you know been doing something cool. If you want to do any movie quotes, this yeah, feel free. We we can set it up for yeah. you. Uh, old school's at the at the top end of my movies. Cody got that one. The fact that he could recite uh, what was it, James Carville? <laughs> yeah, oh, that was is, is amazing. Yeah. Shows how smart he went. Went to Cornell and I went to FAU. <laughs> so, you know, it's a difference. A big a big difference. Oh, well, coach, that was great. Well. Just as we we start to wrap this up, Coach, and gosh, we really appreciate all your thoughts. This has been really great. Oh, so thank yeah. you. It's been a blast. You mentioned during our overrated, underrated segment about kind of when you were a younger coach, you believe this, and you know, as you've as you've grown as a coach. And kind of on that topic, is there anything or are there certain ways that you view the game of basketball that has fundamentally changed over the course of your career that things you believed in as a younger coach that now as you've moved on and had success that maybe aren't as important or things that were important now aren't in some way yeah i would think gosh almost everything that i believe about the game has changed from when i started 12 you know as a head coach 12 years ago first off this the sport is different you know like i used to get pissed at my team if we were shooting you know, 15, 17 threes in the games. I felt like we were settling, you know, we want to play inside and pound it inside. And, you know, threes were just, you know, settles. And, you know, so now uh, there's games we shoot 40 threes and I'm fine with it. You know, um, I think uh, the thing you learn as a coach is, you know, one, one, I think you learn quickly. It's not about you. Everybody thinks, you know, I'm going to come in, I'm going to, you know, reinvent the wheel as a coach. I'm going to be this guy that's celebrated and you, and you recognize that, players uh win games coaches can only lose them you know we can have our team not prepared we can not make adjustments we can do a lot of stuff but we can't win games and and that you need no better uh example than look at this year with arguably the two best coach of our generation with pop and belichick and their struggles did they forget you know how to coach i mean did they you know all of a sudden wake up and no i mean they don't have this it, it, it takes both you got to have coaching but coaching when it comes to players is not even close. And then I think, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing, right? Like if something doesn't, I used to be big on man, you know, I don't want to see you in hats. I want to see you in the first three rows of the class. I don't want this. I don't want that. I can't have an earring. Can't all that stuff to me doesn't really matter. If a guy's sitting in the front three rows, but he's getting an F or a guy sitting in the back row, getting an A, I'd rather the guy in the back row get an A, you know, I mean, whatever is comfortable for you. Now, if you have an F, we're going to figure out why it is and we're going to work to correct that. But what does it matter if, if guys are good guys, if guys are doing the right things? You know, that's way more important than, you know, everybody wearing matching shoes or what your, how long your hair is or stuff that really is irrelevant to keeping the main thing the main thing. All right. And so I think. I've over the years have, have come to recognize that, like I said, players are most important. Uh, the relationships with your players and assistants are the Holy grail. People think winning is the Holy grail, but it's really not, man. It's, 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 it's the relationships and the lifelong relationships you develop with your players and your staff and, and being around and surrounding yourself with great people. I think you can run programs two ways. 
you can run it through fear, run it through love. Right. And we try to love our guys and guys hear that and think, oh, man, you know, that's softer and tight. No, uh, tough love is as much a part of love as anything else. So sometimes it's a, it's an arm around the shoulders and a kick in the butt. But whatever it is, you know, like I tell them, just like with my family, you know, uh, it's the same concept. Uh, I don't always uh, like my wife. I don't always like my kids. They do stuff that, you know, upsets you. I always love them. doesn't matter what they do. I always love them. I mean, I like them in the moment. I mean, I like what they did, but I always love them. And I want that same type of family atmosphere inside of our program. And you can't fabricate that. So I think understanding those things, I was like every other young coach. Winning is going to, you know, fulfill, fill the holes in your life. It doesn't. Getting this or getting that is going to make you, there's no materialistic stuff. Your life is really, uh, happiness is, is tied up in being able to, to do what you love. And, and having an opportunity to do that. And then the quality and authenticity of the relationships in your life and everything else is secondary to that. And um, when you, when you look at it that way, um, I think that's really probably the biggest change when I was a young coach and I thought, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, be the greatest coach and I'm going to, it's going to fulfill me. The holes in my life were still the holes in my life and, and, and everything, whether it's money or, or, or recognition, none of that stuff fills that. It's really literally, about those two things. Can you, can you do what you love? Are you passionate? Do you feel like you're, you're making a difference every single day? Do you feel like what you do is impactful and then the quality and, and, and balance your life and finding those things uh, that are unconditional. Cause that's where your peace and contentment comes from. Right. I mean, it's the unconditional things in your life that, that bring you peace, that bring you contentment because most everything in your life, people judge you based on what you do or how you do not, you know, but, but for me, my family, my faith, um, you know, those are things that I can, I can count on my friends, my true friends, uh, that I know that those things, whether we go 30 and 0 or 0 and 30, those things are going to be there for me. And that, that gives me my peace and my contentment to go out and, you know, enjoy this job. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for additional insights on this podcast. Have a great week coaching and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.